going into this series called the text, the power of four. It's going to be about God's word. It's going to be about the Bible. Open your Bibles to John chapter one. John chapter one. John is actually my favorite disciple. Um, I know that you're not supposed to have favorites, but I'm not God, so I do. And uh, and John is is one of them. It's it's not because he never got in trouble. Um, I like John because he was willing to ask questions. I also like John because there's this verse of Scripture that he was writing when he and Peter ran to the tomb, and he made sure that everybody knew that he beat Peter running to the tomb. You know, you got to think at that time, John was like, I beat you. And Peter's like, nobody's here. Nobody will ever know. And John's like, oh, yes, they will. <laughs> we'll be talking about it 2,000 years later. I just like John. I like the relationship that John had with Jesus. Okay, and anytime that I, hear, I, that I talk about John, you may hear me say this statement. I believe that, that the intimacy that John had with Jesus provides us insight that only he can provide. It's the relationship. He was so intimately connected with Jesus. His heart was so intimately connected with Jesus that other disciples would actually ask him to ask Jesus questions. And he, hear me, check this out. John was not afraid to ask Jesus a question that could convict him. In fact, it was in the night of the Last Supper that John was leaning back in his chair, the Bible says, and then Peter asked him to ask the Lord. And John leaned over against Jesus, against the Son of God, and he asked, Who is it that will lead you astray? Who is it that will betray you? And Jesus actually leans back to him, not in front of everyone else, because then everyone in the room would have understood but he leans back to him and he says, whoever dips this bread, whoever I give this to, that's who it's going to be. And so John is sitting there willing to ask a question that could even convict him. Are you willing to ask questions to Jesus that could be convicting for you? John was willing to do that. But it was his intimacy and his relationship that allows us insight that only he can offer. And we see this in John chapter 1. He opens his gospel with verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jump to verse 2. He was in the beginning. I want you to understand, it, it, the Bible doesn't say it was in the beginning. It, not a leather-bound group of parchment. Not a scroll. But, but He in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, the Word, personal. Not an impersonal pronoun to something that's not alive, but a personal pronoun to life. He was in the beginning. All things were made through Him. He, the Word, all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4, in Him, the Word, was life. And the life was the light of men. Verse 14, and the Word, the Word, He, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
not or. He wasn't so full of truth that he offended people and wasn't gracious. But he wasn't so full of grace that he tolerated less than God's standard for holiness. He was full of grace and truth. Jesus is the Word. And the Word, hear me, is the authority. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. Number one, if you're taking notes this morning, you need to understand that we have access to God's Word. We have access to God's Word. And, and remember, for the rest of this series, and we'll, we'll celebrate it, opening every series, every week. But the Word is Jesus. And Jesus is the Word. Okay? We see the Word of God come alive, if you will, in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then down, just a few more verses, it says, And God said, He spoke the Word, Let there be light. Okay? And that's what happened. When God spoke it, it came to pass. When the Word took authority, whatever the Word took authority over was in submission to it. A few thousand years later, approximately 1500 B.C., we see this man named Moses who was in the palace of the Egyptians. He had murdered one of his, at that time, countrymen. He had ran off to hide in the wilderness. And Moses is walking through the wilderness and he hears the Word from a burning bush. And he walks to the burning bush as he's being summoned by the Word. He submits to that which he's being summoned by. And he walks over to the, the Word in the bush. And he sees that this bush is burning, but it's not consumed. And it is the Word of God that began to speak into the life of Moses. And it wasn't until he stood in the presence of the Word that spoke things into him that he didn't even see in himself. If he would have never, I could preach a little bit right here, but i got to keep going. But if he would have never walked over to the Word, then he would have never heard what the Word had to say to him. And and when you get in the Word, the Word will begin to speak things into you that you didn't even see in yourself. Maybe there's another sermon there. But the, then the Word, the Word took Moses up on a mountain. After he sent him back to Egypt, led him out of Egypt across the Red Sea, brought him up on the mountain, and the Word etched itself into two tablets of stone. Moses came down in anger. He, bro he broke the two tablets. God said, okay, you're going to break my Word? Etch this one out on your own. In other words, when God reveals something to us and we react in anger, He might make us do it on our own next time. And when we follow in the obedience of what God told us to do, we take responsibility for our actions, then God brings us back up and He rewrites that same word down, just like He did for Moses. And the nation of Israel has the written word. They actually would end up with five books called the Pentateuch, or the Torah. It's the first five books of the Old Testament. Then they would have minor prophets and major prophets' letters being written. And by about 500 B.C., 39 books of the Old Testament were preserved on Hebrew scrolls. 
By the second century, the New Testament was preserved on Greek papyrus. And I'm going to give you a quick run of history this morning, just so you can see how valuable the access that we have actually is. In 367, the Bishop of Alexandria wrote an Easter letter. In that letter, he listed the New Testament books of the Bible as we have them today. In 393, all of the current New Testament books were canonized at the Council of Hippo. Yeah, I don't know why they called it. Apparently they had some large people. I don't know, that's what it was. But, but it was actually an African senatorial council, and they canonized, or they authorized. That's what the word canon means, okay? So anytime you, for the rest of the time, when you hear me say primarily canonized, what I mean is primarily authorized, secondarily canonized, secondarily authorized, okay? And then there were some that they left out altogether. This is where it gets a little bit interesting. By 500 A.D., the Bible had actually been translated into 500 languages. People, for the first time in history, had God's completed word. Not everybody, but a lot of people had God's completed word in 500 A.D. in 500 different languages. And people were studying God's word on their own. Remember, in Jesus' time, he had to go to the temple. And it was only the teachers of the law that had the word. And that was the teachers of the law that would actually attempt to abuse their authority over the people. Instead of giving them the word and teaching them the word and helping them apply the word to their lives, they thought it was their responsibility to hold people accountable to God's word. And they began to abuse the authority that God had actually given them. It wasn't their authority, it was the authority of the word. Not the authority of the priest of the Old Testament. And so Jesus is birthed into that society. And John begins to write in the midst. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. He is full. The Word is full of grace and truth. In 500 AD, 500 languages, and people were studying the Word of God on their own for the very first time in history, and the authorities didn't like it. And the church in Rome at that time, the biggest and most powerful church in the world, decided on their own that people should not have access to God's word that way. So they made a law that the word could only be translated into Latin. And any other translation or version of God's word would be illegal. And anyone found with any other translation or version of God's word would be arrested and possibly even executed. This went on for a thousand years. The church of that day took the word of God away from the people of God. Took his word away from the real church, which is the body of Christ. For 1,000 years, and by the way, history notates that 1,000-year period between 500 A.D. and 1500 A.D. as the Dark Ages. Because it was the time that the light of God was suppressed in the name of abuse. And what they began to do as a church is they began to convince people that they could pay for their forgiveness, even though Jesus had already purchased it himself. They could buy penance for their sins. They could come and give money, 
And just like had been done before, men and women of God would offer forgiveness for sin that they actually did not have to offer. Listen to me. Only Jesus forgives of sin. Only the Word, only the Word, the authority, has eternal obligation and ability to do something beyond the temporary. This is the authority of the Word, not the authority of the church. And I love the church. I love the body of Christ. Another thing that would happen is the church had convinced people that there was this holding place between life and eternity. And listen, hear me. I believe, according to God's Word, and I don't have time to go into it. And again, this is not a doctrinal or denominational attack this morning. This is a designation of authority this morning. The designation, and nobody, no, no denomination, and no doctrine should have any issue at all with me designating the authority of God's Word. Not in the body of Christ, but from Jesus Himself. He is the Word, and that's where the authority comes from. So I'm not knocking doctrine. I'm not knocking denominations. I am designating the authority of God's holy word today. That's what we're doing. And we know that there are denominations that teach purgatory or this holding place. And that is in one of the books. It's in the book of Maccabees. That is not in our, in our interpretation one of the primarily canonized or primarily authorized books of the Bible. It is in one of the not completely dangerous, but also not completely accurate. Secondarily, Deutero canon, secondarily authorized books of the Bible. But the church at that time had convinced people that if you would come to the church and you would give us a certain fee, that we could pray your loved one out of this place and into this place. Listen, what happens to your loved one once they pass from this life into the next is no longer based on your prayers. What happens to our loved ones in the next life is dependent upon who they were in God's Word. In Jesus, that is the ultimate authority. It's not the church. I, I, I love you, but if I asked you for money and told you that I could pray your loved one out of hell into purgatory, out of purgatory into heaven, or out of heaven and into hell, I mean, I got some loved ones I wouldn't mind having not spend eternity with. I'm just letting you know. Well, like, hey, could they up here? Could you put them like in the holding place? Because <laughs> I'm gonna need a little time when I get there. You know what I'm saying? But. It's corrupt if I were to ask you for money. And listen, it's not just one church. God's people have been corrupt for all time. God's people have been corrupt since the book of Genesis. And certainly into the book of Exodus, into the day of Jesus, and beyond the day of Jesus. And God's people are still corrupt today without proper authority and proper accountability and proper boundaries. And people watching over. The Protestant church, the Catholic church... The Assemblies of God, the Southern Baptists, we all corrupt. We're the chief of all sinners, and without the Word, we're going to stay that way. But in Him, something significant happens. How would they break free from this persecution? This having to pay for these indulgences. When Jesus said, I purchased you, do you not know that you are the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit? <clears throat> How did the body of Christ break free? In 563, alongside of this corruption, a man named Columba, not Columbo, not the glass-eyed guy with his own TV show. <clears throat> See, only 40 and over people laughed right there. Nobody else <laughs> got that. They were like, I'm going to have to YouTube that later. Siri, who is Columbo? We'll figure that out. Not that guy, Columba. 
And Columba began to develop these secret societies of Bible study. They were little house churches. And over a thousand year period, because of this man's obedience to God's word, he would teach in these house churches in their own language. And there may have been some things that came out of that that were corrupt. You know why? Because he's not Jesus. But he kept it going. And after 700 years, a man named John Wycliffe translated from that school. These guys were known as the Colbys. And out of that secret Bible society, John Wycliffe translated the first Bible into English. Not too long after that, some of you have maybe heard of this guy, a man named Martin Luther, a German monk. He translated the Bible into German. And he had his own issues as well, because he's human. He's not Jesus. But his objective was, again, partially to take the authority that had been put in the church at that time and put it back in its proper place, which was in the Word, in Christ, and Christ alone. That in Christ we have that authority as the body. No one man greater than the other. Even Peter, even Peter said in the book of Acts, don't bow to me, I'm merely human. Okay? In other words, I'm on the same path as you are. We all in the same hospital and without Jesus we're going to die. Okay? Not temporarily, but eternally. Another man that would follow, his name was William Tyndale. And Tyndale printed the first English Bible into existence. And he began to teach it. And uh, the church didn't like that. They didn't like people having the Bible in a language that they couldn't control. They didn't like that people would study and learn the Bible and allow the Holy Spirit to help them interpret the Bible on their own. And they began to pursue these guys. The church pursued these guys. And William Tyndale ultimately was selling more Bibles than he expected. He would smuggle Bibles in all kinds of ways. One way is he would stick them in a big pile of cotton. They'd smuggle the Bibles in. He had all these English Bibles he was smuggling. And the king was buying these Bibles. The king's men would buy up all the Bibles, which would give William Tyndale more money. And so he would take the king's money, build more presses, and print more Bibles. And then he'd just start giving them out. Which was a really cool idea. <laughs> it was just a, a good flip. Like, okay, you're going to buy all my Bibles and burn them? I'm going to take your money and make some more and hand them out for free. <laughs> That's what he began to do. The church caught up with him. The government caught up with him. And for 500 days, he was imprisoned. Ultimately, William Tyndale was burned at the stake. Remember, I'm talking about us having access to the Word of God. He was burned at the stake. The last thing that is reported that he said before he was burned at the stake was, O oh Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. That was his final prayer. And three years later, the King of England's eyes would be opened. And the King of England began to finance and produce the Bible in English for the first time in a thousand years. And the Dark Ages began to end. Because the light was back in its proper place. The authority was back in the body of Christ and not a select few. We have access, hear me, even with all the access that we have, for some reason, 
We don't have an access issue, but we have an issue of engagement. Because we don't understand the price that was paid for our access. We hold the Bible in our hands, but we don't have His Word in our heart the way that we're supposed to. The Bible is the most debated and least practiced discipline in the house of God today. We would rather argue than be obedient. We would rather hold others accountable than allow His Word to hold us accountable. Come on, I know that's a little heavy. <laughs> if you would guess this morning, just, just lean over and say, it's going to get better. Just hang in there with Him for a second. We have access, but do we have the impact? Why do we have so much access and yet we lack the impact? And so number two this morning, I can see, we can see the impact of God's Word. In fact, it was just a couple of weeks ago, our objective in this series, and if you have your phone or your device this morning, or if you just have a pen, I want to encourage you to write down, or go right now and download the version, Y-O-U version Bible app. It's got over a billion downloads, version Bible app, and then go into that app and type in Remain in Me. As a church, and I'm going to post this on our Facebook page later this afternoon, um, and we'll message it out. If you have a question, you can email us. Remain in me. It's a five-day. I'm going to give you seven days to accomplish a five-day Bible study. Come on, now, that's a good deal. Give you seven days to do something only going to take you five minutes in five days. Because our objective here is to establish a discipline the one most transformational discipline that we can establish in our lives to get the body of Christ, hear me, to get the people of God back in the Word of God. Because I'm not afraid of you studying your Bible. In fact, bring it on. Let's talk about it. Let's discuss it. Let's watch the impact of God's Word transform us from the inside out and draw everybody around us to the true light of God, which is His Word. Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's good preaching, 9.30, I'm telling you. 9.30, some of y'all got here at 9, y'all are like, man, they still in, this is the longest prayer meeting I ever did. See, <laughs> it's good. We had a great crowd at 8 o'clock. 120 people came to church at 8 o'clock. Made room. Made room for 20-something cars. Come on, somebody. We're just making room for people to hear the impact of God's Word. What is the impact? Pastor Weston brought it up a couple of weeks ago in his message on foundations. Well, first of all, one of the impacts that we see, if you go to backtothebible.org, backtothebible.org, you can see that in 200,000 people surveyed, when they got back, this is why this series is called The Power of Four. When they got back into the Word for just four days a week, just four days a week, we saw a 228% increase in the body of Christ sharing their faith with somebody else. We saw a 407% increase in the body of Christ actually learning and memorizing Scripture. It's crazy. If you spend time in it and you study it, like, you begin to learn it. 
it's, it's 400% more likely that you will learn the Word of God if you read it. It's crazy. It's just a phenomenal statistic. <laughs> You'll take the time. But here's what's really incredible. In all of these next categories, if you will spend just four days a week, according to the statistics of this survey, they saw active addiction to pornography decrease by 61%. If you want to see our nation turn back to purity and true intimacy in Christ and Christ alone, you want to see marriages healed, get people back in the Word of God. Let the Word of God once again break forth like the dawn into the hearts of young men and women across this nation. And we won't desire anymore the fantasy of unrealistic fulfillment. We will only be satisfied with the real thing. 60%, 60% decrease in pornography. 71% in bad stewardship of finances. We call it gambling. <laughs> and and I don't, I'm not saying that gambling will send you to hell. It's not what I'm attempting to do here. But being a bad steward of your finances could cause you to miss out on things that God did have for you. And spending time in God's Word can cause these things to actually begin to fix themselves. 57% decrease in drunkenness because when you have the word of God in you you don't want to put anything else in you that doesn't belong and 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 this was 68 percent decrease in immorality outside of a covenant marriage in other words if you can get the people of God in the word of God then they'll stop pursuing things that are not the will of God. It really is the impact of God's word. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. This is the God that talked to the burning bush, that talked to the word of God. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Shall be on your heart, not in your hand. Because, again, we don't have an issue with having God's Word in our hand. We have it with us. We don't have it in us. And he wasn't concerned about us having the Word with us. He was concerned in Deuteronomy, 1500 B.C., about us having the Word in us. Have these words that I command today shall be on your heart. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently, not tell them once and expect them to know it. <laughs> I trained them in his ways. No, no, hang on. Training and telling are not the same thing. See, because telling takes authority, but training takes investment. Come on, somebody. You got to take the time to train diligently, to teach diligently. Anybody can tell somebody what to do. It takes a little investment to show the next generation, follow me as I follow Christ, and he'll lead us both all the way home. Teach them diligently to your children and talk, with, talk of them when you sit in your house. Like, he's saying, we should be talking about the Bible amongst ourselves. We should be having gospel conversations outside of God's house. Talk about them when you're walking by the way. Like, you're walking down the sidewalk, talking about God's Word. Not looking not forward because you trip over something like I almost just did. But you just, you just walk around. 
Because you've been spending so much time in God's Word, you can't help but get it out. His Word becomes like a fire shut up in your bones. And you've got to open your mouth to let it go. And when you lie down, <laughs> you want to rest better? You know how people have insomnia? Because they don't have peace. Because when we lay our head down at night, all we can think about is the things that worry us. Not the word that leads us. And we can rest better. And listen, pastors are the most guilty of all. I couldn't go to sleep last night. It wasn't because I wasn't tired. <laughs> and when you rise, verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. In other words, if you look at the Word of God more often, you'll look at things you're not supposed to more often as well. Not look at them. I said that wrong, but you know what I mean. I'm trying to say. It's been a long weekend. Verse 9. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house. You, know, you should, like, you should write, write Scripture on your mirror. You should write it on cards and hang it in front of your kids. <laughs> hang it in front of yourself. Put it on your steering column. Don't be reading it driving down the road. Like, we want to make it to work too. Okay, but I'm saying you should, you should write it. Write it out. On your house, on your gates, on your doorpost. Jump with me to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Verse 18. If, if therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontly between your eyes. See, he's repeating himself because this is so important. Watch what he says, verse 22. For if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command to you today, loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, and holding fast to him. In other words, Moses in Deuteronomy is prophesying what Micah will tell the nation. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly in the word before the Lord your God? If you'll do this, walking in his ways and holding fast to him. Who's the him? John wrote about him. The Word. The Lord. His Word. Holding fast to Him, here's what will happen. Then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. In other words, here's what He's saying. When you keep my Word in you, I'll keep my hand on you. That's the Word. So the final point this morning is we need obedience to His Word. To His Word. Not to a man in a pulpit. In fact, it shouldn't matter what happens to me or anybody on this staff. Because you're so connected to the Word that you can't become disconnected from the body of Christ. Because the Word is the body and the body is the Word. And so, just because... Something happens to the person. Or men and women across this nation have moral failure because they're human and they fall short of the glory of God because they didn't have the right accountability, the right boundaries, or they thought that it was them that was winning all those people to the Lord. When the church engages, when the authorities engage in corruption and persecution, it doesn't affect God's people because they're not connected to other people alone, they are connected to the only one that created all the people alone. 
It's who He is. See, the Word is the authority. Church is not the authority. Hear me, listen. The church, the body of Christ, and the leaders in it have no authority that wasn't given to them by the Word. It's the Word that is the ultimate authority. Not the body. Not the church. Not the leaders in it. But God's Word. We need obedience to God's Word. I love James writes in, in chapter 1, verse 25. We're going to go there in just a second. I just, just to lighten it up a little bit. I'm the oldest of uh, four siblings. My parents were divorced when I was two. Mom remarried. My dad remarried. They both had children. My dad had two sons. My mom had a daughter and a son. And I've been told by my siblings that at times that they kind of lived in my shadow. Specifically, uh, my youngest brothers. Because when I went to my dad's house, like all of life stopped because I was only there like once every two weeks. And so everything was honed in on me. And it actually made my stepmom bitter at times. Not in an ugly way, but just like, hey, we're still here. Come on, I know he's here and we're glad he's here too, but pay attention to me. It was, wasn't her fault, it was something my dad did. And my youngest brothers would... They're always trying to measure up. And so, you know, I would try to set the bar really high. But like, dude, if you can't jump, go sit down. <laughs> well, I just, I do this, whatever I could do. And, and, I, I, and I'm, I'm very competitive. Remember, that's why I like John. Like, I outran you, son. The whole world's going to know. <laughs> Wait till I write it down, share the gospel. If you'd have been as close to Jesus as I was, you could have wrote one too. But you aren't, so you don't. That's right. James is the little brother of Jesus. I mean, this dude's got a tough life. Like, James, why can't you walk on water? What's wrong with you? Hey, my throat hurts. Come pray for me. Oh, you can't even heal a sore throat? Jesus just opened three guys' eyes. <laughs> Been blind since birth. Man, my ankle hurts. You pray for my ankle. James is still sore. You pray. Jesus just healed a lame man. Like, do you see Lazarus get raised from the dead? Like, I got a turtle. You can't even help him. <laughs> like... That's James' life. I mean, no wonder he had a hard time believing his older brother was the son of God. But then he ascended. And James writes this letter. And in the first chapter of this letter, when James converted to Christianity after his brother had ascended, and he realized his mistake, his 33-year-old mistake, he writes this letter and he says, Listen, don't you look into the perfect law of liberty like I did. And be a forgetful hearer. Don't you look into the word of God. And be a forgetful hearer of what it says. But be a doer. Be a doer of the God. Of the word of God. For this man shall be blessed in all that he does. Listen to me. Old Testament and New Testament alike. Blessing follows obedience. Now I'm not saying that you're not ever going to go through anything hard. Or difficult. What I am saying is, when you go through it, you'll know that it wasn't your disobedience that led you there. And it won't be your obedience that leads you out. It'll be hell holding fast to the Word of God and not letting go. And when you're standing in the fire, you can know you're not standing alone because the Word of God is right there with you. Be not a forgetful hearer. But a doer, for this man shall be blessed in all that he does. It's almost like he remembered the parable 
that Pastor Weston alluded to and that Jesus spoke to his disciples in Luke chapter 6 about the sand and the solid rock. See, the difference in the people was not the access to the Word of God. The difference between the people was the application of the Word of God. You with me? See, the sand had access. The people that built their house on the sand, they were hearers of the Word, but the solid rock had application to the Word of God. The people that heard the Word and were obedient to it, they were the ones that built their house on the solid rock. And so James is begging people to paint the picture that Jesus was trying to paint with their own obedience because he knew that Samuel had told King Saul, I'd rather obedience than sacrifice. In fact, stop giving stuff up and start getting in my word. Just give me you and I'll deal with everything else. Obedience. The difference is obedience. Anybody can be a hearer. But James says, don't just be a hearer, but a doer. Get in the Word five days this week. Let the Word get in you five days this week. And then you'll become like David. Psalm 119, verse 105, he says, Your Word, O Lord, is a lamp to guide my feet and a light to guide my path. In other words, you get in the Word, you won't just see the attack around you. You'll see what's coming up ahead of you. He'll show you what's on the horizon. The Holy Spirit will speak to you of things yet to come. That's how good He is. And you just have one job. To receive Christ and remain in Him. And that's why John writes, last thing I'll say, if you continue in my word, <laughs> it all goes together. You're my disciples indeed. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free.